This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Welcome to this month's Ask You Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. And for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., I'm a licensed medical herbalist who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, Excuse me, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of, oh, very many varied questions, uh, cholesterol, further questions from people asking about various different conditions. It's going to be a kind of open-ended, open-ended show uh, asking, like I said, uh, many different questions that I'm getting on a fairly consistent basis because it goes contrary to popular uh, popular belief. So the number, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. If you live outside the area, the whole free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Uh, it can also be reached at the uh, end of the show on 1-888-WBM uh, and generally Monday through Friday business uh, hours. Okay, um, so once again, for those people who perhaps have never tuned into the show, um, Dr. Raymond Peake has become a fairly firm fixture uh, to our monthly shows, and we're very pleased and very, uh, are very happy to have his wisdom on the show. So it's, uh, it's very nice of you to join us again, Dr. Peake. Hi. Thank you for joining. Uh, like I said, every month, pretty much, there might have been people who uh, have not heard of you, um, and it would be a very good idea for you to uh, just give us a resume of your professional and academic background before we get started. Okay. Um, I taught in several areas. Uh, my first teaching job was uh, happened to be biology-oriented towards physics majors, uh, but I also taught literature and painting, and uh, then I decided to concentrate on biology, physiology, uh, intending to concentrate on the brain uh, because of my interest in language, uh, but uh, because of the uh, doctrinaire nature of the nerve biology people, I went into the reproductive physiology and aging. happened to be a specialty of, of the uh, Soderwall in particular, but several of the physiology people were interested in the age-related changes. So that's what I did my dissertation on, 1972. <laughs> Very good. Okay, now you've um, 
I understand that you have been advising uh, a wide range of people about a wide range of conditions with your uh, personalized um, research-based approach to uh, yes, sickness, disease, ill health, uh, and you have some uh, pretty, uh, yeah, pretty uh, groundbreaking ideas that are not at all uh, common. Um, I wanted to um, kind of open up the uh, show, the beginning of the show, uh, and just remind people that um, they're welcome to call in. We generally have people calling in from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, but if people want to call in at any time, I think they should leave that open to people because it's always, uh, I always get the phones ringing perhaps and people end up having to uh, hang up before they get their turn to get their question in. So let's just open up the lines from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. But Dr. Pete, I had um, several questions that I wanted to uh, pose you before uh, we get on with the kind of uh, broader subject of tonight. Um, and again, quite a few people have been asking this question, and so just wanted to put it to you and uh, for you to answer yourself. Um, one person in particular uh, has a young friend who's in hospital uh, with preeclampsia, and uh, the doctors actually want her to abort the baby, uh, and this lady in particular won't won't abort as she's trying to you know, keep her blood pressure under control uh, but the, don't actually, the doctors don't have it under control and um, it spikes up and down um, she's very health conscious and they're letting her eat her own food while in the hospital and she's at 24 weeks and they say that she has to remain in the hospital until the birth um, what's, uh, what's your general uh, impression of preeclampsia and the best approach to its treatment because I know there's lots of differing uh, solutions for it and the uh, and doctors certainly have their own approach to it but uh, physiologically how do you uh, view preeclampsia and its uh, treatment? Uh, when I first uh, was interested in biology I saw that preeclampsia was one of the most dogmatic areas of medicine and uh, until fairly recently about 30 years ago almost all doctors were, were taught that it um, is a, a genetic-related uh, disease sort of intended to uh, kill off poor people because uh, poor people had a, a very high incidence of, of uh, preeclampsia and other uh, pregnancy-related problems. Um, and the idea was that the mother's nutrition had nothing to do with the development of the baby. Uh, bad genes in the baby were possibly poisoning the mother was a theory uh, but uh, Tom Brewer uh, a medical doctor who happened to uh, actually study nutrition uh, was instrumental in, in gradually over a period of 30 years uh, changing that medical dogma uh, it, it still isn't very uh, clearly understood, but uh, two people influenced by him were uh, Douglas Shanklin and uh, Jay Hoden, who wrote a book about, I guess, 40 years ago now, called uh, uh, Maternal Nutrition and Child Health. And uh, Tom Brewer had uh, found that uh, just having the women salt their food to taste and uh, drink at least a quart, maybe two quarts of milk a day, <clears throat> but to definitely get you know, um, 80 grams or more of protein mm -hmm. per day. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that uh, what was currently popular at that time 
for uh, controlling the blood pressure <clears throat> of eclampsia related to the uh, idea that blood pressure in uh, anyone with hypertension could be controlled by restricting salt. <clears throat> and that idea was promoted by the drug industry uh, when they came out with uh, diuretics uh, that were supposed to uh, lower cure blood pressure by uh, causing you to uh, lose salt in the urine. So that was applied unscientifically to the high blood pressure of preeclampsia, and it was killing and uh, causing uh, defects in the babies by starving their brains, uh, by reducing the blood volume. And uh, Tom Brewer uh, observed that uh, a, a farmer who uh, restricted the sodium for his pregnant pigs uh, would soon go out of business. Right. Uh, but uh, it, it took a long time to uh, stop that uh, sort of barbaric uh, pharmaceutical instigated practice. Uh, the, um, the book by Shanklin and Hoden uh, cited uh, some studies in which uh, the only intervention was to uh, supplement sodium several grams extra a day. And uh, those studies showed that in some cases just increasing the amount of salt <clears throat> in the diet was enough to correct the blood pressure by increasing uh, the volume of, of fluid and blood so that the, uh, there was enough blood in circulation to uh, properly oxygenate the, the fetus. Mm -hmm. And with proper oxygenation, then the, the kidney could regulate things so that uh, the production of aldosterone decreased. Um, salt intake uh, is uh, directly related to the suppression of, of aldosterone, which increases blood pressure. So the, when you restrict salt, you increase aldosterone, which uh, increases blood pressure. Right. Uh, so um, in Tom Brewer's approach, uh, since he recommended uh, milk, a couple quarts of milk a day and fruit, vegetables, um, he was also increasing, on average, their... Uh, calcium and vitamin D intake, and those happen to be very protective for blood pressure in general, and especially in uh, preeclampsia. Mm. So the almost exact opposite of what the uh, current recommendations are, that normally salt restriction and um, the dietary advice is definitely not in keeping with uh, what, you're, what you just mentioned. Okay, so... Uh, the basic idea is to increase the protein content of the mother's diet and increase the salt intake. And the calcium. And calcium and vitamin D. Sorry, yeah, you mentioned those two things. Now, what do you think is your best, the best source of protein? I know you're a big uh, advocate of uh, gelatin as a, uh, a balanced kind of amino acid-based uh, protein. Um, milk, milk, cheese, yeah. eggs, and uh, among the vegetables, uh, potatoes are the the best protein okay very good okay good so that's that's the first question i had uh, 
Uh, so that person hopefully will uh, receive this either on the uh, online archive or I can uh, directly post it to them. Okay, well, I had another question uh, from another person uh, very recently, um, and they wanted to uh, know a little bit more about the subject of aortic valve stenosis. Um, they have a, a male friend who's about 30 years old uh, and apparently has had this condition for some time already, and their doctors think he'll have to have surgery pretty soon. So aortic valve stenosis, where the valve is narrowing and causing a murmur and or other volumetric flow problems? Um, uh, the um, fibrous tissue um, replaces the normal elastic tissue um, with aging in general, but uh, inflammation can accelerate it. Hmm. Uh, stress and inflammation uh, in a particular area uh, will stimulate the production of of too much collagen overgrowth of of fibrous tissue, and that happens in the heart when it's uh, uh, being uh, overworked or undernourished, okay. and uh, the uh, valve happens to uh, just be a, a an area which is constantly being stretched and uh, stressed uh, by by the amount of work it does. And um, the, uh, one of the mediators of inflammation uh, that can be uh, triggered just by stretching is serotonin. Um, and uh, people who have a, a, an intestinal disease that overproduces serotonin uh, very often have that uh, particular problem of uh, valve uh, fibrosis and narrowing okay. of, of the blood vessels. And uh, so looking at, at the general diet, uh, avoiding intestinal irritation w will, uh, in many cases, lower the uh, exposure to, to uh, serotonin in all of the tissues and uh, will, will especially protect the heart. Uh, some of the drugs that increase uh, both serotonin and uh, dopamine. Uh, both of those happen to uh, intensify the production of fibrous tissue. Mm -hmm. So the SSRIs you'll be talking about here? Or? Uh, 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 yeah, in particular. Those, mm -hmm. those are the worst. Uh, but <laughs> Commonly, co currently very common uh, medications. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Karen. And uh, things that cause inflammation generally. So... Uh, aspirin is very protective against almost any kind of uh, uh, degenerative and fibrotic disease, uh, even okay. radiation exposure. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so this, can I just uh, interrupt you for a second? You said that the uh, valve, valvular tissue um, that is subject to this fibrosis and causing eventual uh, stenosis, as they call it, of, of the valve, um, is this serotonin actually produced within the cells of the valve, or is this something that is a more of a uh, systemic circulating uh, component? Um, nearly all the body's uh, serotonin is produced in the intestine. It just happens mm. to it, it is rich in the, the type of cell that can produce it. And with a bad diet, those cells multiply and 
can even form tumors. But in the average person, about 95% of our serotonin comes from intestine. And then it's carried in the platelets in the bloodstream. And uh, the lung uh, is where it's detoxified. Uh, the platelets uh, should not give up their serotonin uh, until they reach the lungs. Okay. But with uh, overwork uh, or various uh, things that produce inflammation, the, uh, uh, the whole lining of the circulatory system can be overexposed to uh, uh, serotonin, and the valve happens to get uh, both the, the stretching and the chemical huh. exposure. Okay. And uh, uh, hormonal situations that, uh, for example, cause you to hyperventilate and uh, not retain enough carbon dioxide will cause the platelets to dump out their serotonin and, and cause increased inflammation. Uh, so any uh, systemic stress that um, causes a loss of carbon dioxide will increase that. And uh, diabetes happens to uh, uh, be a failure to uh, oxidize sugar properly and instead it turns sugar to lactic acid. And the lactic acid displaces uh, the carbon dioxide and uh, the loss of carbon dioxide causes serotonin exposure. Yeah. Do you think that uh, you could measure the serotonin on the breath? as a, uh, a marker of how stressed somebody is. I wonder if there's any easy... Do you know of any... any um, uh... Uh, yeah, you can measure almost anything in the breath uh, with the right apparatus, but <laughs> since uh, serotonin acts partly through the stimulation of nitric oxide mm -hmm. in any cell that it's irritating, uh, the... the uh, the process of forming inflammation and fibrosis under the influence of serotonin involves the local increase of nitric oxide. And being a gas, nitric oxide is easy, easy to see in the breath. Okay. And so they're uh, analyzing a person's health just by uh, measuring the amount of nitric oxide in the breath. Yeah. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a pretty good way to get a, get a, get a, get a measurement on it. Well, okay, they're very interesting. I think it's uh, always good to refresh people's understanding or at least their concepts uh, to get changed by some new news about things. And I know in the news uh, they're always uh, coming up with various uh, studies and articles. It just uh, takes a long time for it to get to the mainstream medical community. So, again, get, go ahead. I've been seeing lots of advertisements for uh, arginine supplements okay. and related <laughs> amino acids uh -huh. uh, with the deliberate intention of increasing nitric oxide. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that has uh, derived from the pharmaceutical promotion of the idea that uh, uh, increased nitric oxide uh, lowers blood pressure, oh uh, restores youth and virility oh and so on. Viagra, for example, oh uh, is supposed to increase your uh, nitric oxide. But uh, since nitric oxide is the mediator of uh, inflammation and degeneration, 
it's very good to avoid any of those uh, supplements intended to increase it. Now, am I, uh, am I right in thinking or just misguided when I think about nitric oxide as a vasodilator and that's maybe why they are looking at it as a blood pressure? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're missing the point that the whole inflammatory cascade caused by nitric oxide is far worse than any perceived benefit of vasodilation. Um, yeah. yeah, there there are other ways to uh, dilate the blood vessels safely. Yeah. Uh, keeping your carbon dioxide up, for example, uh -huh. uh, suppresses free radical damage and uh, uh, relaxes the blood vessels in a safe way in proportion to the amount of circulation needed. So uh, when your tissue is burning a lot of oxygen and sugar, it produces a lot of carbon dioxide, relaxes the blood vessels, and opens them up. Mm. Uh, but uh, nitric oxide is produced under irritation and things that produce inflammation. Okay. Uh, so it, uh, when you get that kind of vasodilation, uh, for example, scratching your skin, some people are very sensitive Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, getting a flare right. that turns red when yeah. you scratch the yeah. skin. Yeah. Uh, that's largely nitric oxide release. Huh. Okay, so they, they call that dermographia, don't they, where you can, you can write, write, on the, write on the skin, as it were, with your finger. So that's nitric oxide release from the, uh, from, from the mast cells or from uh, dermal cells? Oh, I, I think it's... Uh, Largely the mast cells, which mm. also produce serotonin mm. and histamine, which in turn activates nitric oxide. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you, the same thing happens invisibly when your intestine is irritated okay. or when your heart valves are <coughs> overstretched. Yeah, that's interesting. You talk about that whole stretching as being a, uh, a, an irritation, inflammation, stroke, serotonin uh, releasing or inducing type situation. And the intestines, that their prime function is to squeeze and move uh, the food contents along uh, from start to finish. And, and so that, that area, you would imagine, comes under a lot of stretching uh, activity. So uh, that, again, I wonder whether or not that, is in part responsible for the uh, serotonin production that you said it happens principally in the in the, in the gut. Um, yeah, um, when a an experimenter is is just looking at a piece of exposed intestine, they find that just gentle uh, rubbing finger across it causes uh, serotonin release. Hmm. Okay, well, let's just remind people what's going on. You're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, and from 7.30, or indeed from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, uh, either related or unrelated to this month's wide-ranging subject of questions, of which uh, we'll be working our way into some of the cholesterol myth and answering questions again from various interested people. Um, so the number, if you live in the areas. Uh, gosh, 93-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the uh, 800 number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so uh, people are very welcome to call in any time now. So, Dr. Pete, uh, cholesterol again. I, I don't, mean to, don't mean to bore you. I know we've done several shows on cholesterol, but keep getting questions uh, about cholesterol because there's such an entrenched dogma surrounding it. Um, and my main question is, I wonder why the doctors don't know 
any more about it because they all seem to be totally convinced that LDL versus HDL is the main problem and that actually atheroma and uh, coronary artery in particular narrowing uh, and that whole uh, coronary artery disease is caused by cholesterol. And I know that you have very different opinions about that and scientifically based opinions that I'm no validated. But um, what do you what do you uh, what do you see uh, with uh, atherosclerosis, for example, um, and and why is lowering cholesterol artificially a bad idea? In the 1950s, the seed oil industry uh, knew that the um, there was an inverse relation between eating a lot of uh, unsaturated oil and uh, cholesterol level, uh, and they, on the basis of that, to sell their oil, uh, even though they were arguing that it was a natural food because uh, of the idea that it contains essential fatty acids, which at that time the essential fatty acid was linoleic acid okay. and its uh, animal uh, extension, arachidonic acid. Uh, but even though no one claimed that even if they were essential that anyone would need more than uh, a few hundred milligrams per day, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, they started selling the idea that since it lowers cholesterol, that it must be good for you uh, if you eat an ounce or so a day. And uh, that much does lower cholesterol, but it is... Uh, probably something like a toxic effect on the liver. Uh, the, the liver, when it when, when the body senses a, a need for defense, uh, a, a sense of stress, um, the, um, the liver and intestine will increase their production of cholesterol <clears throat> because uh, cholesterol, as the precursor for the protective hormones, DHEA, pregnenolone and progesterone, as you increase the uh, circulating cholesterol, you increase the uh, production of these defensive hormones. Right. Uh, so if, if you are poisoned, uh, your body produces more cholesterol and, and thus more pregnenolone, progesterone, and, and DHEA. <clears throat> and uh, uh, if for 70 or 80 years now, it's been demonstrated over and over that uh, any poison you can think of, if you inject uh, intravenously cholesterol, uh, it's an antidote for uh, everything from arsenic to uh, cobra venom. <laughs> uh, it uh, protects red cells against breaking down and so on, but it protects every cell in the body and practically at every imaginable level from the stability of chromosomes and DNA to the uh, stability of the mitotic cell division apparatus to the, the so-called membrane or cytoarchitecture uh, that holds the cell together. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's a stabilizing uh, factor at every imaginable level of the cell. Yeah. 
Okay, I don't mean to cut you uh, cut you short, and I will pick up uh, this after this uh, next caller has uh, uh, posted their question to you, but we have a caller on the line. So let's just start by taking this first caller. Caller, you're on the air, and where are you calling from? Hi, um, I'm calling from New Jersey. Okay, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, um, I- I'm really floored by what you just said. My question was totally off topic and, and a very different one. Um, but I guess I'd also like to know, just <laughs> responding to what um, what uh, Dr. Pete just said, where would one get injectable cholesterol? <laughs> I mean, uh, and I'm not being flippant. Um, uh, that's just for experiments, uh, but you can increase your cholesterol uh, by uh, optimizing your nutrition. Uh, orange juice is a very practical way to increase your cholesterol, which many people are surprised at. Uh, there were experiments in which people, uh, medical students, ate as many as 20 eggs a day or egg yolks and uh, couldn't raise their cholesterol. Uh, but if you if you have low cholesterol, some sugar, such as orange juice, will usually bring it up to normal. So what was well, your initial you. that, that, question? That was a very direct answer to, to my question. <laughs> but now, the question I called about was very, very different. Can magnets be used for bioregeneration? And if your answer is yes, how could we use them effectively? And I'm going to say thank you, and I'm going to sign off and listen, um, all, you know, to listen to you all. Okay, thank, thank you. Th- thanks for your question. Uh, to use what? Uh, magnets for bio uh, remediation. Oh, Re- I think she said regeneration. Regeneration, beg your pardon. Bio regeneration. So, do you know anything about magnets and their application for bio regeneration? Um, yeah, in the 1960s, I, I was reading on the subject, and I was so interested in uh, a Russian researcher's work, uh, Yuri Holodov. Uh, had demonstrated that the gonads and the brain are extremely sensitive to magnetic fields. And since those were the tissues that I was most interested in investigating, I went to Russia to talk to him. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He said uh, the uh, politicians weren't uh, very encouraging for giving foreigners (laughs) their latest information, but he gave me just an amazingly complete bibliography, which uh, when I got back to the U.S., I uh, found a lot of those sources and and, uh, so uh, learned that there was a a really good foundation for uh, uh, being able to sense magnetic fields Uh and for them to have... uh, effects on the brain and and the uh, uh, gonads in particular. And a scientific reason. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Absolutely. Madeline Barnacy and her husband, uh, that was one of the books he referred me to. Uh, my what professor the, the in, Sorry. Uh, uh, Barnacy, B-A-R-N-O-T-H-Y. Okay. And um, my American professors had never heard of the field at all. And uh, Salko Trump a, a Dutchman, T-R-O-M-P, okay. who invented the, the whole field of medical biometeorology, practically, wow. in the 1930s and 40s. 
um, he was uh, aware of of the biological sensitivity of of organisms to magnetic fields, and his his work on the nervous system probably uh, gave the computer people the idea of how to use uh, liquid crystals in display systems and such. He was like 30, 40 years ahead of of most technologists. Wow. I don't know how you come up with this stuff, Dr. Pete. This is completely unrehearsed, folks. <laughs> I promise you, I never had this question uh, prepared, and uh, you've blown me away with uh, what you mentioned about going to Russia. That's far out. Anyway, <laughs> I hope that... Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure if you fully answered your uh, uh, caller's question there, or, or uh, if you had anything else to add. If you didn't, it does, doesn't matter. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, yeah, totally, totally can be used. Uh, interesting field of science that you've uh, you've looked into yourself. I'm uh, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I think. Do we have any other callers on the air? Let me just uh, get the attention. Uh, yeah, we do. One more caller. So let's take this caller. And you're on the air. And where are you from? Hello, am I on the air? Yeah, you're on the air. And where are you from? I'm from Arcata. Oh, okay, very good. Hi. Um, hi, Dr. Pete. I've been hi. listening. Uh, to you for a few years, uh, randomly I hear the show, and um, and I I'm usually only listening halfway. I apologize, and it seems like I need to listen fully to comprehend what you're talking about. Um, I just um, I don't think you can fully explain all of it to me right now because it uh, seems a lot of it is <laughs> contradictory to the mainstream health propaganda, or whatever it is. Um, but could you just explain the part about the serotonin not being a beneficial thing? Because it seems like we get a lot of how beneficial serotonin is for just, um, you know, thinking happy thoughts and stuff. And now I'm hearing from you that it's it's not really good to have serotonin. So I'm a little confused about that. If you could just simplify something for me um, in that way. <laughs> Um, yeah, my website has two or three articles that uh, touch on uh, points of of the history of, of serotonin, and I, I think a lot of it came when they, in the 1960s, realized that um, it was an antagonist to uh, uh, LSD in many ways, uh, and uh, the, uh, the government... Uh, demonized LSD, took it out of use as a, a drug or, or medication, and uh, uh, turned it into a, a danger that was uh, driving people crazy. And uh, so the, the drug industry, knowing that serotonin antagonized LSD, I think they took advantage of, of that and said that if LSD makes you crazy, then serotonin is the good guy and uh, but, uh, before that uh, people who studied the uh, uh, intestinal tumor that overproduces uh, serotonin uh, psychosis and aggression and anxiety were outstanding features of, of their psychotic state from uh, being flooded with huge amounts of serotonin uh, so the, uh, I think it had to be the uh, the reverse psychology of being mm -hmm. an 
an LSD antagonist that led to the idea that it's a, a happy drug. So why do so many people that, like, take Prozac, for example, think well, that they're not depressed anymore when they... <laughs> those, those drugs, besides, in many cases, uh, increasing the exposure to serotonin, uh, their beneficial effects seem to be f from many other things that they do. Uh, for example, uh, typically they will increase several of the... Uh, so-called transmitter substances, but their beneficial effect corresponds to the increasing brain progesterone and other steroids. Uh, the irritation hmm. in the brain increases the, the production of these steroids, and the mood, hmm. the mood lift comes when your brain progesterone and pregnenolone are increasing. Hmm. Okay, well, thanks. Um, I'll look on your website. Okay, thank you for your call. So, thanks. yeah, Dr. Pete, you'd, uh, you'd mentioned many times that serotonin itself is an inflammatory uh, mediator, an anti-life, uh, uh, anti, anti, uh, life, anti or kind of an oxidant-type uh, uh, molecule in terms of its inflammation. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, each of these things has its local effect. We seem to have inherited them from uh, very uh, simple life stages. Everyone, uh, even uh, plants uh, and single-celled organisms, uh, use or respond to most of these things. But, for example, in the intestine, if you eat something really dangerous, the inflammation causes a surge of serotonin, which causes spasms, and secretion uh -huh. and creates diarrhea and to uh, get rid of it. Uh -huh. So it, it's very functional in the acute sense. Okay. Uh, over a matter of hours, it will save you from uh, absorbing too much of a poisonous food. But if it becomes chronic, uh, things like irritable bowel syndrome involve a chronic overproduction of serotonin. Interesting. And um, it stimulates cell division. So when the, um, the blood vessels are constantly being, uh, if, you, if you spill it out of your platelets and expose the blood vessels to it, it stimulates uh, growth. So it thickens uh, the walls of the blood vessels uh, as well as makes them leaky so that uh, uh, anything like uh, circulating proteins in the blood can uh, leak into the tissues. Uh, the, the barrier between the blood and the brain, for example, is broken down by serotonin huh. and nitric oxide. Okay, well, let's just uh, refresh uh, listeners' uh, minds about the calling number if they'd like to do so. You're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMED Gabagool 91.1 FM. Uh, if you live in the area, the number is 707 or if you're outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Um, we're very pleased to be joined by Dr. Raymond Pete uh, this evening. So, Dr. Pete, I've got some more questions uh, from other people uh, that want to pose this question, but uh, I'll tell you what, the uh, engineers just said that the, the phones are ringing. So let's take this next caller on the air. You're on the air, and where are you from? Uh, locally here from Garville area. Been here 42 years, and I... I, I listen to the show as, as often as I can, and uh, 
I just want to thank you, gentlemen, for putting out the straight skinny on uh, what's going down medically in this country. And uh, Dr. Pete, you are just a you're just a gold mine of information, sir. Bless heart, isn't he? And, and the question I have is, I've called in before on my Crohn's disease, and I've had five major military surgeries, removing all but about six, seven feet of my intestines. Have a double ostomy where small intestine and large intestine come to the outside of my body, and slowing my bowel down enough to be able to assimilate food and, and liquid has been a, a major problem of mine. And presently, I'm, I've tried a lot of different things. I even tried an antihistamine that you recommended once. And presently, the, the only thing that seems to work quite well is, is, is opiates. And, of course, uh, being on maximum opiates with the military for years, I mean, six, 700 milligrams of morphine a day uh, in time release, which, you know, half the pills go through your, your body without even being dissolved. Uh, I've gone to much lower levels, uh, four milligram uh, tablets of the uh, item, uh, about 200 a month. And, uh, I, w I was wondering, as long as this seems to be working, uh, do you think I should stick with this? I, I, I might mention, too, that I have no other symptoms of Crohn's anymore. Um, and you aren't having any uh, side effects from the opiates? Uh, no, I don't seem to have any side effects at all. I don't. I don't even get high from it. I don't get warm and fuzzy or anything like that. It just seems to slow the bowel down enough so instead of my short, small intestine cycling at maybe 45 minutes, it'll, it'll slow it down to maybe three and a half, four hours. So, you know, the, the whole process of my food going through. Hmm, interesting. What do, you, what do you think of that, Dr. Pete? Uh, it, it sounds like the, uh, he's adapted very well to the, the opiates, uh, but... Have you had uh, thorough hormone tests, blood tests, for uh, things that might be related? Uh, I've had I've had numerous blood tests done. Uh, in fact, for for years now, uh, because of missed medical management with the VA, which I left, and I'm now with local Redwood Rural Health Center. Uh, I, they were always taking six eight bottles of blood out of me every two months or so. And and I went through cycles of having to go in for for uh, saline solution to bring up my 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 uh, my hydration level uh, four or five times during the summer. Now for the last year and a half, since this uh, FPN uh, physician's assistant has been listening to me because I've had Crohn's disease for almost thirty years now, and consequently I know more about Crohn's and the side effects of this disease and what drugs do to my body than most medical people do, even gastrointestinologists that I've talked with. And so this, this FTN has been interesting to me as far as absorbing information from me, feedback from a patient. And we've tried this, and so far this seems to be working, working quite well. So I've been wanting to stick with it where uh, when I see a regular MD, he maybe wants to take me off it and put me on some cyclomine and, and, uh, uh, of course, that does that does nothing for my my uh, my osteoporosis or arthritis pain, and it does it does nothing for uh, a, a night cough that I have from emphysema from laying down. Uh, so I'm actually uh, attacking uh, three different uh, uh, symptoms of of, of of old body disease with with just one drug, so to speak. And all of my all of my blood levels seem to be 
fairly in balance. So I, uh, I try to take any amendments I can as much in liquid forms. I take a liquid B complex and then I, uh, I take a couple thousand units of D a day and I take some E and I use, uh, I use blackstrap molasses as a source of minerals. About two tablespoons of that a day seems to really mineralize my body fairly well. And how much calcium and magnesium are you getting? I, I eat at least two a pints, of, uh, half pints rather, of yogurt every day. So I, I, I do take a little bit of milk and coffee, but that's not really a good source of calcium. But I think the yogurt uh, helps with my gut uh, and flora and fauna, and it gives me a source of calcium too then. I can't seem to find liquid calcium. So I don't take hard pills if I can help it because they just pretty much, you know, don't do that much good. What about cheese? About what, sir? Uh, cheese as a source of calcium? Uh, I'm a coffee drinker pretty much. I use that for a diuretic to, uh, to keep said, my kidneys uh, functioning. Uh, I find that by drinking coffee, it has a tendency to pull uh, water out of my, my gut in, into my bloodstream. And of course, uh, I have only half of, half of a bladder now because of, uh, uh, intestinal ulcerations to the bladder in, in former years and of course I had to remove part of that. Okay, but, but, uh, the, but Dr. Pete is suggesting, uh, cheese tea, as yeah. for calcium. Yeah, I, I didn't know that cheese really even contained that much calcium and I'm pretty astute uh, that way. <laughs> I'm sure going to give it a try. I'm going to look into it. I know that. Um, I, I think uh, vitamin K and vitamin D would help you retain calcium, but uh, you probably aren't getting enough uh, calcium. Coffee is a good source of, of magnesium. Right. Yeah, well, I'm going to definitely take your advice, Dr. Pete, because, you sir, you didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I, want to, I want to thank you so much for that suggestion. Okay, thank you for your call, Carla. We do you have... We do have another one on the air, so let's give this person uh, their go. Uh, Caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? Um, I'm from here, um, Southern Humboldt. Okay. And um, I wanted to see what kind of tea for calcium um, was recommended, and also if there was anything for blood pressure that goes up and down. <laughs> it, it goes high, and then it goes low, and okay. is there something to regulate but, that? Yeah. Just to clarify the last caller, it was cheese. So this is as in the uh, fermented dairy cheese for calcium, so because it's rich in milk. So anyway, your next question about... Oh, uh, okay, cheese, yeah, not cheese. Tea. <laughs> okay. Okay, so so far as your blood pressure question is concerned, Dr. P, uh, for cyclic kind of variations of regu- uh, and fluctuations of blood pressure, um, that's also in keeping with um, some of this uh, tonight's topic with uh, uh, vasoconstriction and dilation and the uh, regulation of that. What, uh, what advice do you have for that? Well, all the minerals we've been talking about, um, the fruit juice, uh, very well-cooked uh, green leaves, um, uh, cheese and milk, uh, uh, orange juice is a, a good source of uh, things besides the minerals, but uh, vitamin D and vitamin K help to regulate uh, all of the minerals, really, but uh, especially calcium and magnesium. And uh, a big dose of vitamin K, um, it's now available in oily form without uh, 
any harmful excipients so that you can get a milligram per drop. Right. And uh, big doses have uh, been able to uh, correct osteoporosis, not just slow its progress, but reverse it. And at the same time, it um, takes calcium out of the blood vessels and uh, tends to correct hypertension. Uh, and uh, by uh, regulating your energy metabolism, it, it might even help to uh, prevent uh, episodes of low blood pressure. Uh, it works with uh, uh, coenzyme Q10 to uh, maintain oxidative metabolism in mitochondria. Uh, so it's it's not the um, simple uh, clotting vitamin that it's medically known as. It, it's a brain uh, repair, blood vessel repair, bone repair, and um, actually can uh, prevent excess clotting. You know, that, that was one of my other questions, and I was going to ask you why doctors are so against vitamin K. I've had several, several people that uh, we've worked with have been uh, using it, and their doctors have been completely uh, against it. Uh, they were taught in medical school that K stands for clot, <coughs> and that if you take vitamin K, you will increase uh, blood clotting. But that's what they all say. They all say it's going to increase your clotting, and they, they get very uh, concerned, especially if they're uh, patients using warfarin or other uh, blood-thinning uh, drugs. Yeah, but the, um, the blood uh, clot system is incredibly complicated, and two of the essential factors are called protein C and protein S, mm -hmm. and they happen to prevent abnormal coagulation and you can't make them without vitamin K. And uh, they're uh, involved not just in preventing clots, but in, in many other uh, cell functions. So um, you said that a big dose of vitamin K, what would that be for a daily use? Well, I, I know several people who used uh, around 50 milligrams per day for uh, one person who had... Uh, chronic steady blood pressure of 220 over 70, a tremendous gap between the top and bottom numbers, in two or three weeks was down to 140 over 70. Wow. Um, uh, one person who was taking a, a drug to prevent hypertension uh, started on similar doses, and within a couple of weeks, his blood pressure was getting too low, so he had to stop his drug. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. Okay, Pete, thank you. We do have, thank you for your call, uh, caller. Thank you for your question, rather, caller. We've got two other people on the line, Hello? so just want to wait see if we can get these people. Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hello? Hi. Uh, yes, um, I'm from Sorosville here in Southern Humboldt. Hi. Um, I've got two, two questions. One about the vitamin K. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Okay, one about the vitamin K. Um, I'm taking Prodaxa right now as a blood thinner because I have a situation with atrial fibrillation and um, I was taking a calcium that had vitamin K in it and other things that helped you absorb the, the calcium but the lady at the health food store said that uh, vitamin K thins the blood so if you're taking a blood thinner already it might be too much uh, 
you know, it might be too much of a blood thinner to take the vitamin K. What do you think about that? I'm, no, I've never heard of that. So you think that it's okay to take the vitamin K as well as the uh, the blood thinner? I think so. It, it's good to have your um, blood uh, clotting system checked periodically, though, if, if you're taking a warfarin-type I'm taking Kodaxa. I didn't notice that there was a problem. Like, you know, a couple times I've cut myself, and, you know, I, my, my blood seemed to coagulate just fine. I, I think even while I was taking the, the calcium with the vitamin K, but I ran out of it, and I was going to get some new, and the lady was warning me about it. But you think it's all right. Because it does help you absorb calcium, doesn't it? Well, it helps regulate calcium in all the systems. I'm not sure about the absorption in your intestine, but it it uh, puts it into your bones and keeps it from going into your arteries. Oh, well, that's good. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask is I, I heard on, oh, it was probably Dr. Oz or something on TV about that we all know that inflammation is, is bad, causes a lot of problems, and he was saying that um, sugar causes inflammation, that it's best to not eat sugar or simple carbohydrates because that uh, exacerbates uh, inflammation. Uh, what do you say to that? <laughs> um, no, um, there are a couple articles on my website about sugar. Uh, and uh, the, since sugar uh, involves insulin uh, to handle it, it's hard to tell which is responsible, but the combination of sugar and and insulin is definitely anti-inflammatory. Anti-inflammatory. Um, it, it's um, traditionally uh, in uh, Africa, for example, when antibiotics weren't available, uh, and uh, in some war situations, they found that packing just plain white sugar into an injury uh, facilitates healing. Uh, not only prevents infection, but it prevents scar formation. And that's a, a, a very basic illustration. That well, that's can... topical, but what about in your body if you eat a lot of sugar? It doesn't uh, cause inflammation, which no, would uh, aggravate things like arthritis and other things? Uh, no, the, the combination of insulin and, and sugar has a... It suppresses some of the inflammatory things, uh, such as nitric oxide. Uh, hypoglycemia, a, a diabetic uh, is unable to oxidize sugar, and so uh, diabetes and hypoglycemia have in common the promotion of inflammatory mediators, cytokines uh, of various sorts, including uh, nitric oxide. And... Uh, uh, so you can uh, either uh, do something to lower your blood sugar too much or block its use, as in diabetes. Both of those situations turn on inflammation, and uh, the normal use of sugar is definitely anti-inflammatory. Well, how much would you say is the normal use? Um, uh, there's so much controversy around sugar. Um, I happen to like to drink fruit juice. Uh, without added sugar, but there's a lot of natural sugar in fruit juice, and people are always telling me I drink too much juice and it's got too much sugar in it, and that that's not good. Uh, well, in the form of juice, since the juices will always have minerals, especially potassium, uh, there were experiments 
in which uh, sugar disposition was followed, and uh, they looked at the factors that were causing cells to be able to uh, use the glucose effectively, and it turned out that potassium was more involved in uh, handling glucose than insulin was. And since fruit juice always has a lot of potassium, you don't need nearly as much insulin secretion to handle the sugar. So uh, the, the, the story that it's going to disturb your blood sugar is, is very inaccurate. Uh, eating a piece of bread is much more disturbing to your insulin and blood sugar system than drinking a, a similar number of calories as fruit juice. So if I wanted to limit my calories, it would be better to limit uh, uh, carbohydrates and, and, and keep up with the juice and not, not eliminate the juice? Uh, yeah, the, the juices are basically more nutritious than the starches. Uh, even if they're cooked, you know, most juices are cooked, you know, I mean, most juices aren't raw. Uh, yeah, um, that's okay. Does that make a difference? Uh, not much. Oh, okay. Do you mean pasteurized? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I drink the good juice like Knutson and Santa Cruz Organic, which, uh, you know, suppose, don't have any added sugar, but they, uh, uh, you know, I think they are pasteurized. Uh, something like Odwalla is flash frozen, so it, it has a little, maybe a little bit more uh, closer to, to a raw juice. I don't juice my own juices. I'm going to actually have to uh, call... Both of you in, I'm afraid it's uh, getting to be almost two minutes to the oh, top okay. of the hour. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. No, no, you're very welcome. Well, thank you okay, for bye. calling. Um, for the other person that's waiting on the line, I'm afraid we won't be able to take a call. Um, but Dr. Raymond Pete, thank you so much for your time again. I really appreciate all of your contribution to the show, and I know all the people that uh, got a response from you have certainly got information. And for those people who never had a chance to ask their call, then uh, next the third Friday of every month. So, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for your time. I'll give out your information. Okay, thanks. Okay, so for those people uh, who've listened to Dr. Raymond Pete for the first time or those people who perhaps heard of him anyway, uh, his website is a very good source of material, fully referenced scientific material, which will give you the facts and not the, uh, not the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, just... Uh, Hearsay. It's uh, factual scientific information. His website is www.raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T, full of articles, well worth listening and reading. Uh, he's been doing this for nearly 40 years. Okay, so for people that have called in tonight, thanks so much for participating in the show. Uh, it's completely unstaged. I don't know who's going to call, what they're going to ask questions about, but this evening's show was very interesting with uh, Dr. Pete going to Russia. That was a, that was a, a corker. Okay, so uh, for those people who uh, would like to get in touch with us uh, Monday through Friday, uh, we have a toll-free number, one eight 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 wbm herb um, Okay, so thanks so much for listening and being part of the show. Uh, we hope you got some good information from it and you've got something to think about. So until the third Friday of next month, uh, good night. Thank you, Doc. Uh, Doc. Another highly informative episode of the Ask Your Herb Doctor. My favorite talk show on the mud.
I can't deny it. Kama thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300. Online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMED Garberville. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.